Hello, hello. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Freedom International live stream with Roy Kolan from Poland and uh, Hartmut from Germany, Steve from Asia, and Chris from UK. And with us is a favorite of a lot of people who wants mental wellness, emotional wellness, and all kind of wellness connected from many issues from before and until now is Dr. Peter Bracken. And I'd like to welcome Dr. Peter Bracken. And I'd like to thank first your lovely wife, Ginger yes. Bracken, <laughs> better make sure for helping us, you know, get together and making everything possible for today. And also, she is your co-author for your latest book, COVID-19 and the Global Predators. We are the prey. So thank you, Ginger, and thank you, Dr. Bragan. Ginger told, Ginger told me that you're wonderful, and I'm going to have a great time. Yes, <laughs> we're all wonderful and we make it fun no matter how serious the conversation is. We're the type mm -hmm. of people who finds laughter as the antidote for everything that's happening. And I think you'll be so proud of us because I know that in psychiatric medicine and psychiatry is really my top favorite in nursing when i took the boards that was my highest grade <laughs> and i wanted to be a psychiatrist nurse but when i came to united states and it was the height of hiv they put me in the hiv unit so it's okay <laughs> but it's interesting that dr bregan in in the in when I, when I was studying in in the nursing in the philippines i only think of psychiatrists as uh, taking care of crazy people, okay? There's no such thing as depression, anxiety, like that, because that was not like a common thing in the Philippines. But now then I came to United States and everyone seemed to be under a counselor or a psychiatrist. So those are the things that you have a lot of wealth of knowledge all those years, decades. So in my culture, again, we look up to an, an elder who is still with it, who is um, passionate in what you do. And um, I, you've been all over from mainstream media, even before Oprah Winfrey. And yes, it, this, this censorship, this, this um, like conversation, bringing out critical truth is not, is not new to you. So when everyone else was following the pharmaceutical companies protocol and doctors you were just doing the opposite so i think my first question would be how is that for you of all those years what are you seeing right now well i got started in the whole field when um i was at harvard as an undergraduate and a friend asked me to go out to the state mental hospital with him and uh take some time off. I was studying pretty hard. I was in a special program for history and American history and literature. I'm back to American history now, really. And um, I was just struck by, by how awful the conditions were of the patients. It was just uh, in, inconceivable to me that the state hospital was tolerated and how badly the people were being treated. And it reminded me of my Uncle Dutch's 
description of liberating a Nazi concentration extermination camp. And uh, I just started working in the hospital, probably did more, more time in the hospital over four years, I ran the programs, started the first book that I ever wrote and um, just got deeply involved in it. And at that point, psychiatry was not as, as uh, totally dominated by the pharmaceutical industry as it is now. So we were working with patients individually. I set up a program, we had volunteers, we got the most disturbed patients out of the hospital and we were written up uh, uh, in, in major um, uh, report from the federal government on the future of psychiatry. Um, I say all this because I'm, I'm proud of lately thinking I was a, really the first, first uh, person ever canceled by the drug companies. And um, I even have my picture in the Saturday Evening Post when I was about 19 years old working in the hospital. And um, then, uh, so I decided to become a psychiatrist. Uh, we had social psychiatry. There was a left-wing progressive psychiatry. There was community psychiatry. There was psychoanalysts doing psychiatry. But then the drug companies really took over everything. And um, by the time I finished, I had two years at NIMH, uh, I, thought, I, I used to think I was going to be the youngest president of the American Psychiatric Association. Instead, I became the youngest person with a target on my back uh, when I graduated. Because I realized that um, psychiatry was dominated now by the drug companies completely, paying for their conferences, paying for their journals, paying for special people in the psychiatric offices, uh, getting them on the major radio and TV and, and organizing uh, marketing for, for psychiatry. And this is important because it was the beginning, I think, of what we see now, but it's much bigger now, much, much bigger now. But it's still coming out of uh, this two, two human impulses, one to get very you know rich and wealthy and powerful, um, and the other just to dominate people. There's like two human impulses. We, we want to have this grandness and the wealth, but but when we get too much power, when organizations get too much power, then, then we also just want power for its own sake, control over other human beings. And psychiatry already had a lot of that. We had involuntary treatment that we could do to people. We could go into the courts and say who's crazy, who's not crazy. And I just, I looked at all this stuff and it, um, it just didn't make sense to me. The profession I'd gone into was turning out to be, uh, to epitomize something very, very wrong. And I, I kind of knew that pretty early on. And as an irony, uh, not too far apart, Anthony Fauci and I both entered the National Institutes of Health. And um, I was there two years as a Lieutenant Commander in the Public Health Service. And they asked me to stay on at NIMH and I accepted and then I turned it down because I realized without a job at the time that it was if I stayed there, I would have to be uh, a front man for the pharmaceutical industry because I saw that happening in front of my eyes, 1966 and 68. Well, it's around that time that Fauci enters, enters NIH and he becomes the front man for the drug companies. So it's kind of an interesting divergence of uh, perceptions and how to relate at that time. I never met him then. I didn't know his name when all this started, when COVID-19 started. So uh, the, the TV and radio was not dominated then by 
by the drug companies. It's when the companies got the right to direct to consumer advertising on the television that they really got their major power. Because after that, no critic, not just me, I was the, I was the conscience of psychiatry, I was the leading critic of what was going on, but there were other people too. And uh, no one after the, the drug companies got hold of things uh, could get on the air and criticize the uh, drug companies, a bit like the tobacco industry. And in fact, um, in the courtroom, I became very active as a medical expert. Uh, I went up against the same people as the tobacco industry ha had representing them, representing Eli Lilly and other drug companies. So this was kind of the early stuff. And I deluded myself. I thought that, um, that it was just psychiatry that was this bad. I was uh, moving away from being a young progressive to being a libertarian and uh, eventually moved more toward conservatism. But I, I thought, you know, this corruption of industry, it's because psychiatry has no scientific basis, so they have to fabricate the science. They have to twist all the, the uh, uh, so-called clinical trials, which, you know, I, I knew right away I could tell... Uh, being a medical expert in the cases that the trials were all fraudulent, manipulated not only by the drug companies, but by the FDA to, to get the drugs through, particularly Prozac. I wrote a whole book about it called Talking Back to Prozac, which was a bestseller. And then after the uh, drug companies came in, despite having two bestsellers in a row and a big contract for a third book, I couldn't get an agent or a publisher in New York City. Now, eventually, I would find a, an independent publisher. St. Martin's was independent for a while, so I could publish with them. Perseus was independent for a while, so I published with them. Um, and my medical publisher was astonishing. They, I'm still the longest person there, my medical publisher, Springer. But by and large, I was canceled, and no more of the big TV, uh, occasionally uh, on Fox. But then... You know, my, my comments on what was happening to industry were unacceptable at that point to, to the people on Fox. Because I was saying, this is not free enterprise. This is a corrupt system that we're looking at. So I just went ahead and did all that and was doing it. And Ginger joined me. Um, Ginger helped me when they went after my medical license. See, I went through the whole thing. They actually tried to, they actually tried to take me and my family out during the... Uh, during the early days. And, and then they went after my medical license. And by then I had Ginger with me and she's just so aggressive, you know, look out, look, I may look sweet and gentle, look out for Ginger. And um, we won the license attack hands down due to Ginger's uh, PR capacities, marketing, determination and refusal to act nice to the, to the enemy. Uh, she really, and we won that license attack completely. And that's when I got my biggest book, uh, uh, that influenced the public, which I think was toxic psychiatry, came out of that. So that's like a brief history, just to let you know what I think will enlighten you about, more than I've done on other shows, about where all this came from. It is, starts with this huge power of the drug companies, I think, working through NIH, the FDA, the CDC, because whenever a large, powerful entity interacts with a government agency, they take it over. I mean, it doesn't matter whether you're managing railroads or 
you know, you're an agency managing media, whatever, uh, you end up, uh, you end up basically uh, being the henchman, hench person for uh, the drug companies or, or the railroad or whatever it is, you're, the oil companies, whatever it is you're managing. That's the problem with huge government. It just uh, it doesn't become capitalism. It becomes something very predatory rather than competitive and valuing freedom. Um, so we were working along with, uh, I mean, I could talk obviously about this for days because it's a long life, but going to COVID-19. When COVID-19 came along, um, one of our first thoughts was, um, well, we've heard the vaccine industry is even worse than the psychiatric one and even nastier because we met some vaccine people and they told me about what had happened to them. And at least I've never been in jail yet. Still haven't been. And um, we also were worried that if I took on such rad new, new stuff with, with this kind of the same actors, but much, much more united and stronger and international, that my role is the conscience of psychiatry, see, there's pride, that that would get really just mushed out of history by the attack over uh, COVID-19. Uh, and then Ginger was researching while we're thinking about, should we do this? And we're beginning to think there's nobody quite like us, like, no one that quite has the knowledge of the industry who's been in, I've been inside these companies, you know, with a court order and go in there and find stuff. And uh, there wasn't anybody quite in that role. I've been in a courtroom probably a hundred times, many times around issues that are relevant to COVID and so on, written a lot of books and a lot of scientific articles. But we still, we were really kind of scared about taking it on. These identity, people are most afraid of all of losing their identity, you know. And uh, this looked like it could be a crusher. Um, and then Ginger found this article, uh, 2015. Now it's pretty famous. Nobody was talking about it then. By Menicherry from the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, with a fellow named Ralph Barrick, who's the last author on the article. But he's really the overseer of this whole program of gain of function. Gain of function is a terrible euphemism. And um, I mean, if you think of it as gain of lethal function, you'll understand what it is. It's, a, it's taking uh, innocent, harmless uh, viruses like ordinary coronaviruses and turning them into uh, lethal, lethal pandemic-causing uh, diseases. It's gain of function. It was, was a gain of function article, and two things struck us uh, at the same time as quite bizarre, making Ginger think maybe I would you know, look at it and say it was, it was fake or something. The first thing was that they had made in 2015 a SARS-CoV virus in the labs at North Carolina. And the uh, second thing was in collaboration with the Chinese Communist Wuhan Institute. Um, and this was like, wait, we're, we're, we're giving the technology. I'd heard a little bit about stealing technology, intellectual rights. One of my own books was been published in China. I only found out when a, a, a Chinese student at Cornell brought it to me. <laughs> Look what I found. You're published in China. Um, and we were just floored by this. Uh, and I'd not been studying viruses. Ginger had been interested in epidemics as a child. There seems like a lot of God's work in this. She'd just been interested in 
epidemic since she was this little kid. And she's, she's reading these scientific papers and, <clears throat> uh, and then I'm starting to read them. And uh, we were so floored by this that, that we used the contacts we had. We knew fairly well somebody who's very close to the Trump family. <clears throat> Excuse me. And we had some media contacts from the past. So we sent out this article to them and said, look, Fauci's paying for the Chinese communists to learn to make uh, biological weapons. And, um, and uh, they, made a, they were making Cove viruses, SARS-CoV viruses. So, I mean, this, this takes the whole conspiracy thing about where the virus come from out of the conspiracy theory. We hadn't as yet started to look beyond that because there's just multiple scientific studies about the Chinese with and without the Americans, funded by Fauci, sometimes without Americans, sometimes with Americans, building these viruses in China and Chapel Hill. Um, and we did get it to Trump. And in, and in two days, Trump canceled the coronavirus uh, research with China. He stopped Fauci's funding of China. And I think Fauci's found ways around it. I, I kind of proved that in, in our book. But um, that got us going. And then we started just learning like everybody else. I then met, it's very different from the uh, psychiatry thing where I was kind of the point person and there was hardly anybody to learn from. Nobody had ever taken on psychiatry in the way I was. No one had taken on the drug companies in the way I had. Uh, certainly not a physician, dairy to do it. But now we started meeting these amazing, amazing people who knew so much and almost all of them interesting. I'm Jewish, almost all of them Christians, except Zev Zelenko, who's an Orthodox Jew and who had started the alternative treatment movement, the early treatment movement, and Peter McCullough and Elizabeth Lee Leet, uh, all MDs. And, and there's just a huge, amazing medical movements that trying to get together, getting together. They're, just for people to know, there's, there's even a medical society, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. Again, a, a predominantly Christian, predominant and conservative organization. And um, then we found out that these people had really good treatments. I mean, for the first time in history, the government had proclaimed there are no treatments for a serious disease or any kind of disease and doctors couldn't treat it. They didn't just say there weren't any. He said, you can't do it. You can't treat COVID-19, you bad boy. You go to jail, you lose your license. So that opened up another whole thing. And I'll, I'll take a deep breath there. But So we're just, Ginger, um, yeah. Ginger's well, just doing, Doctor, do, doctor excuse me, Dr. Britton. Let me just tell you that um, your experience is really similar to our experience. I mean, right now, the people here, because... Yes. We all kind of, you know, notice something is a little off. But uh, the other difference is a lot of the people also, like, again, the people here right now with you, they've really been seeing a lot of things already yeah. way before this thing happened. So they've been studying so deep. And so in our in the past year, though, we came together. And those being together and we attracted um, people like you to be able to share you, all your knowledge in this platform. So it, it's just fascinating to hear again from you yeah. who have seen many things before and just tied it to what's happening now. So, and in your book, Dr. Bregan, you know, in the, your latest book, you had parts, four parts there. 
and you just started actually with that part one is Anthony Fauci and then the part two is the COVID-19 policies and the the part three is the COVID-19 and the predatory globalists. But I want to go straight to that part four because after over a year of what's been happening, I think we all know that we're talking about freedom and liberty. And as a psychiatrist, you know very well that without that, we're all go crazy, <laughs> you know, and it's not something that we will hope for, for a sovereign, healthy individual. So what do, what in your um, perceptions and observations as a psychiatrist, what are the lessons that we could really get from that that's been happening since last year? Well, first, Grace, I really don't want to be used as a proof that psychiatry has something good to say to the world. Um, I'm, not, I'm not speaking as a psychiatrist. I had to debrief myself from all that training. Psychiatry is the cutting edge of anti-freedom. And it is in every single society where there's oppression. China, Russia was very big, uh, probably still is, on, uh, on using psychiatry to get rid of dissent. Cuba has used it uh, to some extent, but rather minor in comparison here in the U.S. as well. So let's let, you know, um, perhaps better to think of me as a therapist or, a, or just a person who's lived a long time and done a lot of thinking. Psychiatry is not something I want people to turn to now. Psychiatry is, uh, and I've said this for actually decades, the most dangerous thing in general a, a normal person or an upset person can do in America is go to a psychiatrist because they will give you drugs and if you uh, resist and get angry at them, they'll lock you up for your own good. Um, so um, I don't, I appreciate as a nurse, you are honoring me as a psychiatrist, especially from your youthful training, but that is not where it is at all. Um, the, um, I think that, that it has to be viewed to start with politically, not psychiatrically. America with its patriotism, its freedom, and its Judeo-Christian traditions is, is uh, the great enemy of the globalists. And if you read uh, Klaus Schwab's uh, book, um, he, where he talks about the Great Reset, he is using COVID-19 to destroy all the impediments to globalism. And the main impediment, and he describes it, I don't know why people don't talk about it much, he's got a chapter to discussing it, and it, uh, rather poorly written, but scary enough language, um, that globalism is antithetical. It is the opposite of, it is the, uh, counterbalance it's really the threat to uh to patriotic democratic republics because they won't go global and uh when trump came along and aroused those of us who really are patriotic and do believe in a democratic republic with i emphasize the republic part because it's uh, got a bill of rights and it's got a constitution and has limits on it um, 
it's a, it's a conservative kind of liberty. I mean, the American Revolution was conservative. I, I never realized that until very recently. It was conservative. It said, to leave us alone. We want our freedom. Don't take any more of it away. We'll put up with being in the empire, but not taxed. Leave us alone. Let us be, and we'll be your friend, king. We'll still be your friend. We love you. And the king said, no, I'm expanding my power. So this view of just protecting America, our patriotism, our freedom, our Judeo-Christian principles, all of it goes back to our founding. And we are not only exceptional, exceptional, we're out the ceiling exceptional. Never before in the world a government formed for that reason on that basis. And that's not ignoring human beings and their awful things they get involved in, slavery, religious oppression, whatever else. The principles that founded this country, no other like it. And hence the strength, the power, the success, the freedom. And <clears throat> so what we call psychiatric issues uh, increasing in America, which is a great litany because it's just a reflection of misery. I mean, forget the diagnosis, it's misery. And the misery is being inflicted on America in order to make us more helpless and dependent. That's the key. We've been singled out for the most oppression in, in terms of uh, stopping our use of any drugs that will help us. And uh, maybe Australia a little worse because they, they're even more under the influence of the communists than we are, I think, the Chinese communists. They have the worst there. And Canada's pretty bad too because they're already moving so progressively. Um, in Europe, Europe, you better hope America survives because you're not going to do it on your own. <laughs> um, so the situation really about the psyche, what we call the psychiatric issues, people being depressed and so on, it really comes down to want to creating a hopelessness and docility. And this uh, ties right into my first experience of walking into the state mental hospital because the whole purpose of the state mental hospital was to make everybody helpless and docile and control people. And it goes back historically to that. Uh, we'll get into that history, but it goes back historically to that. There are two images that I often think about um, in terms of uh, what we're doing to our children. Um, in particular, because they want us to bring up docile children. And, and one was, uh, Dr. Merritt describes this in, uh, in a letter she wrote to the uh, uh, Association of American Physicians and Surgeons. She's looking out her window, and there's a line of children walking along the sidewalk. Now, usually she'd see a line of children, four or five-year-olds, and they would be dancing, they'd be holding hands to keep tied together, and then there'd be adults monitoring them and people would be giggling and laughing. And these children were walking along, hands behind their backs, masks on their faces, faces down, no fun at all. Four or five-year-olds, they're being trained. I had the... Uh, experience of going behind the Iron Curtain before the wall came down with my friend Jeffrey Mason, who uh, taught himself German just to go in and try to understand Nazi Germany. And um, and that's what it looked like there. And here in, in the so-called showcase city of East Berlin, the people looked dismal. And they were not many of them out at all. Those that were out didn't look healthy and didn't they looked cowed. Because when you're in a system like a state mental hospital <clears throat> or East Berlin 
or increasingly in America, they spot you if your head is erect and you're smiling. Thank Even you so in, much for sharing that, Dr. Bregan. Thanks a lot for sharing that. I have more questions, but it's really, we have a lot of questions, but I'm going to pass it on to Roy, okay? So Roy will continue the conversation. Hi, Peter. Uh, Hi. I, uh, so you you went from Oprah, Oprah to the Freedom Broadcasters. It just gets better and better for you, doesn't it? It gets better and better. <laughs> I'm having a lot more fun than I ever had on Oprah. Although in the beginning, Oprah Oprah really loved what I was talking about, and then um, I think the drug companies eventually got to her really seriously. Um, but yeah. Like, because you know, you're talking about the like the corruption. I've I also have had over a hundred court cases, and I've been in the high court in Ireland, and I've witnessed hundreds of cases as well as in Poland, and plenty of times I have seen the corruption in the courts, and I know. Yeah. Years ago, you have as well. So I'd like <clears throat> it because the reason that I think this is so important is a lot of us are holding out because we see a lot of people are fighting. They're this COVID through the courts, and that's my fear. People don't realize how corrupt the courts are. Yeah, um, I've noticed that too. And <clears throat> I don't wish I could remember who said this, but someone said that uh, uh, if a democracy is trying to rely on the courts for its salvation, it's not going to happen. And um, I think that is a very important concept. That doesn't mean we won't get somewhere. I really admire everybody who's really, really trying to do it. Um, the courts uh, were just overwhelmed by the drug companies way back when I started. I was the, uh, the single scientific expert for all the combined suits against Eli Lilly in 1993-4. And I was there, one, to go and get the science, understand the clinical trials, figure out what went wrong, what the corruption was. And um, I won't go through too much detail. I'll just bring you up to the first trial. And the first trial was of a man who uh, murdered, uh, I don't know, I think he killed about eight people, wounded about 12 in his place of work, a man named Wes Becker in Louisville, Kentucky. And one of my first thoughts was, why are we doing this case? This is a terrible case to start with. You can't win a case like this as a mass murderer. And then I read a little more and I found out and he was paranoid before he ever took Prozac. He threatened the company before he ever took Prozac. What is going on here? And uh, then the lawyer who was doing the case named Paul Smith, he never talked to me. I was used to lawyers spending hours talking to me and sending me stuff. But as soon as he entered the case, the original lawyer I'd been working with before him was a very famous older lawyer in Chicago and he died. I don't know what that was about. We was older. And then Paul Smith came in. And uh, Ginger said right away, it's funny, she's always had this ability to see something. Um, and she said, the case is fixed in advance, honey. She said, the lawyer, he came, he spent 10 minutes with you and left. He figured out you, he couldn't buy you. This is a fixed case. When I got to Louisville, to testify in the case, I called Ginger and I said, honey, they put me in a hotel that's five miles from where they are, and the lawyers for Eli Lilly are in the same hotel with them. She said, honey, this is fixed. Take care of yourself. I got to the 
day before the trial and I meet with a consortium of these attorneys under Paul Smith and I say to them, I've done a lot of cases, I hadn't done hundreds. Um, no one has, has uh, uh, familiarized me with the questions. No one is sitting down and discussing the direction. I don't know what's going on with you guys, but here's a stack of 100 cards. You better ask me these questions because I don't know what you're doing, but this is how you do it. And they ridiculed me, um, made fun, laughed. Oh, you're fine. You're great. You can handle anything. Well, it turned out the trial was fixed. And it's very odd. If you read my testimony, I'm asking and answering my own questions. And while they're battering me, there are no objections. One time I object to the judge. I say, judge, this man is standing over me. It's very oppressive the way he's relating to me. The judge said, that's right, back off. I'm doing it. And um, despite all that, I, managed, I at least managed to get two jurors to vote against Eli Lilly, three and it would have been a hung jury. And uh, Lilly won. Um, and I, I was very disillusioned. I didn't know what to make out of all this. I still couldn't believe it was fixed. That just didn't make sense. And then about three months later, uh, working with another attorney, uh, and he said, by the way, do you know that trial was fixed, the Westbecker case? I said, what? He said, yeah, here's a write-up. By the way, the case was a great victory. Prozac wins. And um, they tried to say Reagan discredited but I really did a shockingly good job asking and answering my own questions. <laughs> and the, the, the theme was Prozac wins and all of the, these things. Now, when, when it was announced that it had been fixed, nothing, none of the press carried it. Uh, a local press carried it. And one or two legal presses, small legal presses carried it. Nobody liked the New York Times or the Post. It's a huge event in our time because this canceled out 150 cases. They canceled 150 cases. Everybody settled, got scared, <clears throat> and so on. Um, so that is how corrupt the, the things could get. Now, this judge, the way he found out was that a, uh, a juror came to him and said, Your Honor, I heard what sounded like they were discussing a settlement in the hallway. And that, to this day, is what the judge thinks, that, that they... They did a fake, they faked the trial starting in the middle. They faked it months ahead of time. And um, judge brought them in, Smith, and brought in Eli Lilly and said, did you guys do a settlement? No. Did you hands exchange, money exchange? No. Well, afterward, there was so much money in, in, the, in the hands of the people who were the plaintiffs, who were all the people who'd been shot and had families shot and members that uh, it turned out that, that there was just all this money in their hands. Where did it come from? And that, that brought it back into court. The judge eventually decided <clears throat> that it was a fixed trial. And he uh, uh, changed the verdict to settle with prejudice. He didn't, uh, he didn't go far enough. And then he wanted to take the next step and find out how much money there was. And uh, Paul Smith and Lily working together now, they're openly against the judge, forced him to recruit himself on the grounds they had lied to him and he was prejudiced. And he recruited himself. The next lawyer said that it would hurt Eli Lilly too much if the amount of the settlement was announced. Um, I found corruption in at least four or five of the trials that I was involved in in the next 
hundred, but it's not a huge amount, maybe six, seven, where judges clearly were terribly prejudiced, terribly gotten to around the psychiatric drugs issues. They were doing, um, they were doing, Lily and the other companies, they were doing uh, seminars for the judges on, you know, nice islands in the Caribbean and things like that. So the problem with the law is the same problem with the science. It's run by people. It's a real problem. We got to find a way of getting science separate from people, getting courts separate from people, and they're subject to all the corruption. So I think it's a huge, huge mistake to uh, to think that it will be done uh, by uh, by the courts. But who knows? This is America. We occasionally have heroes. Well, we have hundreds and thousands of heroes right now just working their hearts out. Is that answering your question? Yeah, no, ab 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 absolutely. And like I've seen as well that not only Eli Lilly, because I was researching as well um, all of the pharmaceutical companies, because they're all based yes. in Ireland for tax reasons. They they um. all yeah they all do they all do the kickbacks. They've all been fined, but yet people now are putting their trust in them. And like the same with the Prozac, because like even the side effects to that are suicidal tendencies. There's so many different things. And they're just pushing it because they want a customer for life. You know, we're, we're living in kind of times, and th that's my fear at the moment, because there's so many people, they've put their trust in their doctors. And a lot mm -hmm. of the doctors, they're, they're actually in on this because, you know, they're getting the kickback. And they're like, like they're as guilty. This is a whole chain. And we have to break a few kinks. And like, how, how can we actually, what's your thoughts on the best way of actually breaking this? Because if we can't go the court route, <laughs> like, do we actually go to, to the individual? Because that's, I was thinking that as well. Do we, because like everybody knows the doctor, do we actually just approach the individual and just say, this is not acceptable that you, you know, you go for their integrity. Like a kickback is actually the wrong thing to be doing. You shouldn't be prescribing a drug when you're getting money for that. Well, I think we're in a different game now than, the, um, than that petty corruption. I think, I know the doctor's terrified. It's, it's no longer a few bucks or, you know, you get a meal every week for your uh, your uh, staff. The doctors are terrified. They have uh, tried to take licenses away from a number of the docs. They've uh, humiliated them. Zev Zelenko, who was probably the most heroic, along with Peter McCullough. Zev Zelenko stood up, and uh, the mayor of New York made his uh, life so miserable down in New York City that his own community threw him out. And um, I would like to make an appeal, which I do occasionally to my Jewish uh, friends. Uh, like, you know, we're, uh, we Jews, we are a historical community. We go back, we're a nation that goes back uh, thousands of years and we're fighters. We fought, uh, you know, the, the Persians, we fought the Romans. And why aren't we fighting now? Why aren't we fighting communism? What's happened to us? Um, because uh, we, we could be really, uh, you know, folks who are participating much, much more in the, in the leadership. And I'm, I'm, I'm telling that to the Jewish community. I mean, if America is saved, it's going to be by the Christians. And we really do need to, to stand up more. But um, there isn't any easy answer. It's a political question. I mean, uh, the kind of work that all of you are doing is the beginning. I think it's going to be grassroots. I think... What's going to decide America is Trump's constituency, not because it's Trump's, but that group of people, the ones that we Hillary derided and Obama derided and called names and made fun of. 
the the uh, the more aware part of the working class, uh, the craftsmen, the plumbers, the electricians, and uh, the uh, middle class and the upper middle, a lot of the upper middle class, uh, people who have actually worked for a living, not the elite. The elite are gone. They're always gone. They're always they always go communist or Nazi or something. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be those folks. Um, and that's who we should be working with, and uh, that's who we are working with. We absolutely now need to give up the hope that the New York Times, Washington Post, the book, uh, the, the book companies in New York City, or any of those people are going to help. They're all going to be life enemies. They're going to be existential enemies. Uh, they're all part of the elite. The elite is aligned with the communists. It's quite bizarre. I track it in my book. Never thought I'd say that, but um, if you... Uh, if you read my book, I mean, one of the most striking things, and this is important as a part of our strategy to tell people this, the, 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 the most striking thing I found, there were two striking, let me take a break and tell you the two most striking things I found in looking at all this, because this relates to this question, and I haven't gotten to talk about them. The, um, the first most striking thing was that every time I tracked somebody who was critical of Trump, or wanted to close, open the borders, or who didn't want to confront China, didn't want to bring back the uh, companies, or said it was impossible, every time we tracked them, research-wise, they were connected to the Chinese Communist Party. Now, I say that because maybe they were just working with the Wuhan Institute or a corporation in China, most of them making billions and billions of dollars off of China. The, um, the top... 10 or 12, I'm looking at my big cheat sheet here, the top 10 or 12 American billionaires, with the exception of Larry Ellison, have no patriotism I could find even a hint of. People, people like, um, you know, Buffett and the Gates and the Zuckerberg from Facebook and Larry Page at Alphabet and Google and YouTube and Bloomberg, who's uh, number 11 among these people, um, they have no patriotism. They are globalists. They're predatory. They don't have any Judeo-Christian values. Um, and they are heavily aligned with China. And I have quotes from Bill Gates where he's praising China and their handling of the virus, the epidemic, right in the middle of their having sent it to the U.S. and several hundred thousand airplane passengers. And I have the same thing from Bloomberg. Um, and they have conferences. They, uh, Bloomberg has a conference right in the middle of the presidency of Trump just before the, uh, uh, the uh, well, even after the outbreak. And, 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 and both of his conferences during that period of time, he, uh, he uh, features the Chinese communist premier, Xi Jinping. Uh, I mean, he's featuring him big smiling face criticizing of America and stuff. Um, I could not believe this. This was very puzzling and very scary. And then I realized, you know, partly from the progressive upbringing in America, partly from where the money is, and globalism is now this kind of a somewhat amorphous, but congealing huge uh, action that pays no attention to whether you're a progressive or so-called capitalist. It's just all predators. 
Uh, same thing with all the big corporations, doesn't matter. The tech ones, Alpha, you know, Apple and Alphabet, Microsoft, Amazon, Facebook, Twitter, further down the line, they are all invested heavily in China. They all want to shut us up as best they can. So that was the first and just bizarre thing. And it began with my realizing and Ginger bringing me that article showing that Fauci was funding the Chinese Communist Party and the Wuhan Institute. And <clears throat> in January, I mean, the, they made it quite open in China. They appointed a mili the top military biomedical uh, officer to run the Wuhan Institute in January, uh, right at the start of the epidemic. I mean, it's so clear. And then there's all this BS around it. And it's not the doctors, they're really the tail. I mean, it's the Journal of the American Medical Association. They're very similar. Lancet is a major predator. The British Journal may, uh, we go into this in, in just awful, awful detail in the book. So that was the first thing that was just so stunning. And um, I don't know how we're gonna take all those folks on, but let me again, then, let me give you the, the next big lesson that I got and that are the twin themes of the, of the book. And that is that the entire COVID-19 was planned at least five years in advance. Mm -hmm. And this was really hard. We didn't come to this conclusion until maybe five months into the book of an eight or nine month project. And um, the final, the final piece was uh, when I came upon some videos watched by very few people. One had 25,000 watches since 2017 by Bill Gates. And one was a talk at a, uh, a press conference that he gave to his favorite press people at um, Fauci's conference in 2017. And that's putting together Fauci, who's the great reset, with Bill Gates, who's the great, will make it happen with the um, vaccines. We'll get control over everybody by top-down government to get the vaccines out. We'll be filthy rich and richer and more powerful. And we'll create this, what's essentially a fusion between corporations and, and uh, government with no participation of the people or democratic or republic kinds of processes. So he announces in 2017 that he's working with Moderna, which was only formed in 2010. He's working with Pfizer. They're building platforms to speed through what are essentially going to be COVID virus vaccines in advance. In other words, he's describing Operation Warp Speed in 2017. So then we got a lot more interested in 2017 than we've been interested before. Oh, and also that he had set up an organization called SETI, which was going to be a fusion of government and um, private uh, groups. And that it was all about uh, building these new vaccine platforms. So then I thought to myself, well, when, when did the um, emergency use authority get going? because that's what gave him the power to uh, rush things through without FDA approval, the ordinary FDA approval, just rush them right through because they, they may be useful, right? 
that's that's the criteria, folks, for these vaccines you're taking. They may be useful. They've been tested for a few months instead of 12 years or 10 years. So, well, the act actually was first passed in uh, response to um, 9-11. But then I found in that same January that where uh, Gates comes out and says, we're going to build, essentially doesn't name it, we're going to build this warp speed, um, Operation Warp Speed, the FDA comes out and, and does a big announcement on how they're going to be redeveloping the emergency use authorization. So he had that that month that later in the month he begins to talk about things. So then everybody's heard about you know, October 2019, a few years later, when Johns Hopkins University holds a coronavirus war room <laughs> before one month before the virus appears. And everybody, oh, that was an accident. 2017, Johns Hopkins puts out a white paper reviewed by top universities around the country. They're all involved in this. They're all so deep in China. The top universities are unbelievably involved with the Chinese communists. But, and in 2017, I want you to listen to this folks, because this is not conspiracy. 2017, they put out a white paper and the white paper says, we're gonna have an epidemic of coronavirus in 2000, next year or two. And that we gotta marshal everybody to learn to communicate with the people so we can stop the criticism of the vaccines that's going to happen. And that's the purpose of the white paper. 2017. And the, and the paper, the white paper is called SPARS. That's the name of the epidemic. Not SARS, SPARS. And the, and the vaccine is COVAX. I'm not kidding you, folks. They planning on this thing, and I can like, explain. Yeah, because you, you, because you're you're basically um, you know you're talking about Trump and like we've seen a lot of the things that he do didn't do in you know, the wars and all this. But what's fearing me, and I've been it, it, like talking about this for about a year, is even though he's coming out talking about he was pushing the vaccines and people should get it, his daughter's coming out with a picture getting vaccinated. I think it's just a smoke screen, to be honest with you. I think people are putting their trust, thinking that Trump is going to sort it or someone else is going to sort it. And it's the people will have to sort it because it doesn't, it's not adding up. The, like he was surrounded by Fauci. Everyone, every man and his dog knew that Fauci is corrupt. How come, you know, you have him on your right side for the, you know, at, the, at that time? Well, I think it's a serious question. Um, I've had uh, a couple of people on my own radio TV show, modest as it is, who have worked pretty close in with him, and I've talked to other people. Um, our theory, and it could be dead wrong, but it's the same experience we've all had personally, which is nobody imagined the depth of the evil of the deep state and of the medical scientific profession. Nobody imagined that JAMA, the Journal of the American Medical Association, would publish an article in which doctors were killing patients with overdoses of chloroquine in order to, dis to uh, 
frighten all of America's doctors about using hydroxychloroquine, literally murdering patients. I've got it documented. There was a Brazilian study done in a progressive area of Brazil against their own president in part. Um, nobody imagined this. And I think Trump was used to, you know, in construction and being an in industry, I, I think he was used to petty corruption, but I don't think he had any concept any more than the rest of us did uh, of the depth of evil that surrounded him. I know that people in the health field who got into, uh, some of them who got into the uh, advisory group were kept by the people around Trump from ever see, ever talking to him. And if you look at uh, look at Tucker Carlson, so he's the nearest best thing we got on Fox. And um, one of our great docs, McCullough, got onto uh, Carson, on, onto Tucker's show by mistake. Tucker just thought he was an interesting doctor who was talking about the failure to treat people. And all he knew about him was he had uh, testified before a, a state legislature. And Tucker is, you can see Tucker's face when he's talking with Dr. Peter McCullough on his longer show on the Fox Alternative and then on the short show and Tucker's flabbergasted. He never heard that doctors weren't allowed to treat their patients. That's how isolated he was. And he kept asking Peter McCullough, why, why, why? How can we have a situation like what? He had no idea what was going on. And then some people sent Tucker uh, my book and saying to him, here's the why. <laughs> here's the why. And uh, Dr. McCullough has an introduction to the book, by the way. <laughs> Zev Zelenko has an introduction to the book and Lee Lee does an introduction to the book. And I've never heard back. We've never heard from Tucker. These are people are so isolated. And I think that the president was just really isolated. Um, uh, my, my fantasy is that maybe I will get to meet Trump someday and I will tell him that I have one wish and that is to talk to him about the nature of human evil. Um, I don't think he got it. Now, I could be wrong. I could be wrong. He's uh, Maybe he's a businessman. Uh, but, you know, I don't think it entered his mind that the head of the FDA, who was a big corporate business uh, pharmaceutical guy, would be uh, as bad as a Maoist or as bad as a Hitler. He just hadn't quite risen up to that point yet or whatever. So that's my take on it. But the other take is is the one you have. And and um, I don't know the answer, but it takes an awful lot to convince a normal human being that all of medicine is corrupt. I mean, it's it's a hard take. So, but I'm with you on both sides of it. Um, I would like to tell people one thing about the book, and then I'm going to be quiet and answer questions briefly, like I'm on the witness stand, so you can ask me everything. When when the book when the idea. When we came time to put the book out, we realized there was no point to going to a publisher. We were going to self-publish. It's um, only the second book I've self-published. The other one was uh, when I wrote a book called Wow, I'm an American. And my agent, who was a boyhood friend, 
had an epileptic seizure practically and refused to be my agent for the book because he didn't think America is a wow at all. It's a New York liberal. And I got canceled out of that, so we published it ourselves. That's Out of my 22 books, that was the one that we self-published, Wow, I'm an American. Um, but we decided this one we were going to choose just to go ahead and do that and get it out as fast as we could. But then I, I sort of had this imagination about God saying to me, um, <clears throat> why are you, uh, not, not why, it was actually it was after I was no longer on earth. And he's saying, why, why, did, why did you keep the information to yourself until you published the book? Were you that hungry for a few bucks? What, are you, what were you doing? And so we did something no one's done before, which is, as far as I know, the minute you purchase the book, you get the latest manuscript. So everything I'm talking about today uh, will be in the manuscript that you'll get if you go to buy the book in advance. And um, it'll be in the form of a PDF. It'll arrive instantly. It should arrive instantly in your box. And the way you do it, you can go to the Bregan.com um, B-R-E-G-G-I-N.com. It's right up top. But you can go more simply to a dedicated website that was Ginger's idea and it's been working beautifully. We're selling thousands of books already. Uh, and the website is uh, wearethepredators.com. We, uh, the prey, I mean. Wearethepray.com. Wearethepray.com. And um, when you buy the book um, at, at a cut rate, you will instantly get the uh, the manuscript and uh, it's being kind of edited by by crowd. What do you call that crowd? What uh, the whole crowd helps you? Crowd, yeah, I know what you mean. Yeah, so like open open source kind of thing. Where yeah, 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 yeah. Crowd. Yeah. Well, it's being cop. It's being <laughs> it's being copy edited by the crowd because <laughs> everybody's sending us copy editing, and then we've also got our last copy, final copy editor. Um, so you can get the book. If you just go to wearethepray.com, you'll get everything I'm saying today. It's a very, it's like two days ago. It's the final manuscript before it went off. People who bought the book earlier got an earlier manuscript. Um, now I'm going to stop I, I pass talking. You, I pass you on to Chris because uh, thanks very much, Peter. I'll pass you on to Chris Rain. Hi, Peter. How are you doing? I'm doing good. I, I don't know where I get all the energy from. I think it's the importance of the cause and good luck and other things. Good stuff. Good stuff. What I want to ask you is just um, instead of a global question, just where you are obviously on the ground at the moment over in America, how are you finding that? Because obviously a lot of the states are kind of up and down. They're closing, they're opening, wear masks, don't wear masks. You know, some are trying to enforce the synthetic poison more so than others. How are you finding it yourself in the sense of do you see the divide? Because we know the people at the core, the core, the very people in the background, they obviously, it's a divide and conquer tactic for, you know, thousands of years it has been going on before any of the COVID nonsense. But how do you actually find it being on the ground there, away from the media, the people are hearing all over the world, people around you, family, extended family, friends, doctors, associates, so on and so on. How are you finding that itself? Are the people generally being divided with this kind of, you know, being pushed into a corner, coerced into a corner? Mm over feeling, you know, well, I better just get this synthetic poison. I don't want it, but I better get it anyway because, you know, I can't go to work, so on and so on, even though we know it's still under experimental, you know, phase and trial until 2023 and under Nuremberg Code, which nobody seems to be taking any notice of. A lot of people are talking about it, but I don't feel, feel anybody's actually enforcing it on people because people are going, oh, yeah, it's there. I'm talking about now employers, 
people in hospitals, um, you know, any job allocation at all. They seem to just push, 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 and you have to get it, you have to get it. So the propaganda is growing through the roof day by day. But how are you feeling in your circle, in the extended circle, the, the coercion tactics that's going on? Is it dividing compared to, say, 12 min months ago even? Um, <clears throat> there's no doubt that the people are terrified to even think about not taking the vaccine. Um, I've just written up uh, last night, I stayed up late writing up a, a, a little testimony about this for an attorney in the hope that he'll see it, understand it better. And um, I don't want to talk too personally about the people I know, but they have been pretty much one and all <clears throat> intimidated into, into taking uh, the uh, vaccine because the pressure on them is, first of all, you're a bad citizen if you don't. Then you, also they just hammer you with guilt, shame, and anxiety about you're spreading it to people and you're, uh, you know, you're going to give it to grandma and so on and so forth. They have no idea that children uh, never die from the from COVID and that they don't spread it. I mean, it's almost zero in that terms of the spreading. They have no idea about all of that. Um, they have no idea it was not approved by the FDA in any ordinary fashion and so on. And they've heard that they won't be able to get in an airplane. They may not be able to go and sit in church. They certainly aren't going to go to back to college the way things are turning out. So people are terrified about the vaccine. Um, I will not take it. It would be so dangerous for, for me. It's so funny They what some people are saying who are slightly or somewhat enlightened is save it for the people who absolutely have to have it. Like people who are over, who are eight, over 80 because that's where half the deaths are and over. No, the average death is around age 80 and so on and so forth. And I'm 85, I wouldn't go near the damn thing because one of the first things I saw in the 2015 paper was that vaccines for coronaviruses were very odd in that they were killing the older mice when they got COVID. So they would inject the COVID, this is 2015, that's published, so it's going on before. They would inject this vaccine into the uh, mice, uh, expose them to COVID, and a lot of them would die, especially the older and the vulnerable ones. So it's very, very bad, I think, throughout the country. I'm not sure there's... New York State is probably somewhat worse. Uh, we've written a, quite an attack on our governor. Not, but uh, I think we call it 911, uh, save us from our... SOS, save us from our governor, something like that. <laughs> One of our blogs. But it's very, very bad. The intimidation. And I really want to emphasize for people, this is not just to get you to take the vaccine. There are two arms of the attack on us. One is the billionaires who want to get really, really wealthy, and the same billionaires working with communist China who want to weaken us so they can have a global hegemony. Um, so it's it's not good at all. Um, but I'm very inspired by groups like yours. Uh, this is wonderful, the internationalness of it. Grace, it's a great gift for you to do this. Um, uh, I, the hope is entirely with groups like us. and. And then us really just giving strength to the people who are going to make a difference, which is, you know, the half a million people. I mean, the half of the country that believes in patriotism, in freedom, in, in closing the borders and standing up to China and so on. That's where it's going to come from. I call us the, the re-founders of the nation. 
but uh, we, uh, the refounders, didn't actually do a lot of the fighting. You know, it was, the, it was ordinary folks who were inspired by them and inspired by liberty and inspired by uh, the Judeo-Christian tradition. And again, uh, a, large, a big part of the Judeo part, I want to remind my fellow Jews again, one of the big things that inspired George Washington and Jefferson and um, Adams was Exodus. They wanted to put Exodus on the national coin. Our Exodus. The Jews going free. And um, it really was a Judeo-Christian re revolution. And do you uh, and, do you personally foresee things, you know, going the divide route, the more this um, toxic, you know, synthetic poison is actually being rolled out further and further because obviously the, the fear is being ramped up by the day. Do you think America well, is going to get more divided? Yeah, of course. I mean, it's, it's all driven by yeah. fear at the end of the day. Yeah, and they're going to roll out more and more of the vaccines, first of all, because these um, there's never been an approved um, workable vaccine for a coronavirus. If there were, was, they would have been rich already making it for the common cold because 10% of common colds are coronaviruses. So um, they knew that. They're not stupid. They knew that. They knew that there were going to be so many uh, transformations of the virus along the way into different shapes and forms, not deadlier forms. The tendency is for viruses to get weaker, not more deadly, because that way they spread better. You kill your host, you don't, you don't spread too good. So the, it's not the murderous viruses that tend to survive. It's the ones that get weaker and weaker. But they're going to just have to have more and more and more uh, of these things for the mutations of these so-called viruses, uh, so-called vaccines. So we could talk about that. They're not really vaccines. The genetic engineering, um, toying with their own bodies. Um, but uh, yes, I think it's going to get worse and worse, and it has to get worse and worse because the other side is uh, is already shown it will do anything to prevent a patriotic, uh, democratic republic of the United States of America from existing. That's very, very clear. I don't think there's any question about it anymore. Um, we we need to do everything in our power. I can't predict the future. Um, but it looks to me like it is a turning point, that it's a turning point where either this incredible America is going to go down or it's going to rise up again. I hope it rises up again. And for a, such a, a big nation that America is and all that, are you surprised yourself that there has been no rise up so far even? I mean, even going back to simple things like I was at a march here in London last weekend and I was at one three weeks ago where we had the best part of three quarters of a million uh, bringing London to a standstill. But we're on other groups as well, trying to get different states in America to, you know, get your own march. Obviously, marching is not the answer. Um, you know, sometimes you do very little, but there are the common solidarity and get people out in the streets and that you make a, a noise about everything that's actually going on as well. And I've noticed in, in at least 12 months or the last 14 months or so, and yeah, it started off with about 100, 200 people. Now, as, as the, you know, 12 months plus has gone, we're up to over two quarters of a million people on average coming out in the streets. But of course, the, the mainstream do not want to show that at all. Literally, London came to a standstill, and the whole media stopped. BBC wouldn't cover it whatsoever. Uh, Sky News, I think, Amazing. barely gave about 10 seconds ad, and that was it. You know, just carried on as if we never stopped yeah. anything at all. Are you surprised yourself that, um, you know, 
America, even at this stage, like over 12 months into it, and nobody is, I won't say nobody, but I mean, there's not a big enough racket over there yet to make any difference. Well, I certainly agree with your perceptions. In the beginning, I was uh, very, very surprised, but I had a number of different thoughts about it that I think are, are, are worth mentioning. One, one is um, that uh, affluence breeds softness. Uh, one of my friends who's a historian uh, reminded me that pretty much all civilizations collapsed during a period of affluence uh, uh, because people get soft. Um, that the warrior stage eventually leads to affluence. Um, so I think that that's a very sad and tragic possibility. Um, another is that we have been far more infiltrated by communist propaganda than we've ever imagined. It's just out the ceiling. Uh, Your average young, you can go through the Cornell Business School and never know who Adam Smith is, the originator of the concepts behind free enterprise. <laughs> never have read the wealth of nations, but for sure you've read the Communist Manifesto by the time you do your freshman or sophomore year probably. So the, in, the infiltration is, uh, is really complete. But then there's a third thing, which I've not heard anyone else really talk about. And that is that passive helpless populations obeying uh, predatory leaders has always been the lot of mankind since about the first villages in 2000 BC. Um, we were born into being um, hunters and gatherers. We all know that now. That's become Papa knowledge. Hunters and gatherers uh, were not communists. They didn't share everything. They were family. They were an extended family. And people would take what they wanted for themselves when they hunted and gathered and then share with people they loved. That's not communism. It's the opposite of communism, where you're forced to give away whatever you get from, you know, the, from he, from those who uh, can, you know, to those, to those who can't, basically, the, uh, separating out your, taking your wealth away. No, this was a family. Once we got into villages, uh, we began to experience, this is very, very new, because the first villages are, are 10,000 uh, BC, and we still had existing cultures up until very recently, that never entered into barely the village, beyond the village stage, your small village stage. Human beings have always lived docile in response to oppression. Um, America, our founders were a miracle. George Washington, I wish our young people knew this, he was a miracle. When George Washington uh, and his army along with help from the British and the progressives say, Washington had help from the British and 10% of his army were black freed people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's not negative. Of course they got help from the French and they got help from the French. That was Ben Franklin. That was John Adams going over there. Yes, George Washington refused to keep blacks out of the army. 
he just defied the South and he made made them equal soldiers in their own reg, in their own regiments. Um, but when Washington, when the army won and they weren't paid and they met to decide they wanted Washington to be their king and to mar march on Washington and just take over, probably it was Philadelphia then, to march on Philadelphia, maybe New York, could have been New York, I get mixed up. But it was one of those, one of the capitals at that point, I think it might have been Philly. Um, Washington came to the meeting, he heard about it and he probably cried in front of the group and said, this is what you've done to me. That's what you've done to everything we fought for. And they got all ashamed. The King of England said, if Washington doesn't become king, he'll be the greatest man who ever lived. Ha ha, he never thought it would happen. Well, he didn't become king. Instead, he became a president of the Constitutional Convention. He took a totally different, being called back to do it. So this is, the American experiment's unique. The people tending to be sheepish in response to authority is an old thing. It's bringing that family constellation where you, you know, you respect your elders as most villages did and, and all extended families, I think probably did the tribal, it's pre-tribal really. Uh, and so we, we grow up, we, we, uh, we're unique if we're like us, and we were from early on, you know, kind of suspicious of authority or even defiant at times. Um, so it's a big task ahead. We are very exceptional, America. We've been given a gift, and it's possible we won't take it. But we, we need to fight with all our might. And, to, and I, I really believe, and I think this is the only way to believe, is the outcome's not in our hands, only our own behavior's in our hands. So everybody out there, no, we may not win, but there are higher values, and you will have the most satisfying life possible if you fight for the freedom of humanity and other human beings. And if you believe in God, you will... As Zev Zelenko said on one of his shows with me, he said that no man who walks with God is afraid of human beings. You won't be afraid of human beings anymore. Quite literally, you just won't be afraid of human beings. There's something bigger going on. And we have to get there. God's time is really strange. The Jews were in captivity, I think, 500 years or something. We, 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 Ginger and I were watching one of these great old movies about Exodus. And... Um, some great old act, Heston, Charlton Heston or somebody was saying, and then the Jews languished for 500 years in captivity. And Ginger turned to me and she said, God's time is different than ours. And I think this sobriety is kind of necessary, but it's also beautiful that we get to have a chance to live in one of the greatest times in history. We get to be refounders. We get to stand up from around the world. It's really amazing, beautiful, from around the world to stand up for liberty, to stand up for love and a loving God and a God who wants, treasures all of us, who doesn't want us to be uh, experiment with and played with, with the transhumanism, which is part of this whole thing, doesn't want us in enthralled and chattel conditions. God who wants freedom, we have the opportunity in God's time. This is how Ginger and I view it, and it's astonishingly close to what a lot of the people I work most closely with feel. 
And just to touch back briefly, you mentioned uh, earlier in the conversation about, you know, a couple of decades back when you're involved in the corruption and the court cases and all that as well, you were speaking about people's licenses, you know, their, the fear, of course, of the license being taken of them. Well, of course, history repeating itself or a very similar situation today. You know, I often yes. ask the question to many people, why are these doctors and nurses and so on? Why are they not speaking out? Yes, OK, there's a couple. Well, there's more than a couple here in England. There's a whistleblowers and they're speaking out as much as they can. And, you know, more I've than all, here, I think. Yeah. Yes, yes. And I, and I spoke to one or two and I've asked them the first question nearly ask them is like, why are more of your colleagues not speaking out? You know, and the main thing they, they, they say every time is simple. They said it's just I said, are they awake inside? Do they know what's going on. Is it fear? What what has stopped them to make the stance that you've made? And they simply come back with the basic question or the basic answer is just um, we're afraid of our license being taken, number one, and then i.e. the license being taken, then we can't pay for the mortgage, we can't pay for the big BMW in the car in the air, and we can't pay for kids schooling, so on and so on. So they know it's completely 100% wrong in what they're doing, but they're going to stay there for their license and their paycheck. So, you know, it's, it's a funny kind of dark industry, that mentality. You're in there helping people. You take on the role as to what to help people. But actually, by your actions, your inactions, um, you're completely doing a the opposite uh, a disservice to people. Actually, what you're doing coming in. So, it's, to my mind, you know, it's fraudulent knowing exactly what you're doing. You're exactly. Yet, yet carrying on that kind of an industry inside. How do you find that? Because I know you're involved in talking to doctors as well as that. How do you find it? You kind of mentioned, obviously, not as much in the state speaking out. And any any at all, or any kind of information or feedback you have from your end of things that way. Is it a similar situation? License, mortgage, stuff to pay for. We, we're awake, but we just can't talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's exactly the same. Human nature is the same from all, in all cultures and all situations. Human nature is basically the same. <clears throat> A couple of comments on it is um, that to these people who are behaving in this manner, um, you're going to be eaten alive as this gets worse. I mean, you, you, uh, you may think it, that, that you won't. But you and, or at least your children, will be eaten alive, and no one will be free. And um, I, I want to actually address something to directly to Bill Gates, who's sort of the top man in all of this power uh, or hierarchy in many ways. That um, Bill, uh, the Chinese communists, it's going to eat you alive when you have successfully underlined America. You and all your friends, Michael Bloomberg and Schwab, and the whole bunch of you, the communists, you, your billions will be nothing. They'll take them away from you. They'll close your banks. They'll kill you. They'll torture your family. They don't care. You have nothing. They'll eat you alive. And it's the same thing lower down where the elites, and, and in a sense, all the nurses and the doctors were all elites, um, at least borderline elites. And uh, so we're hanging on to what we get because of our mass, massive education and uh, our being such good students and all that. And... Uh, but all that's going to go. But that isn't going to do it. I mean, you really have to appeal to the, to, I think, to people's uh, belief in a God, belief in higher values, belief that there are things worth fighting for. Um, as an encouragement in America, there are a lot of folks like those of you here who are from around the world. I mean, I'm, I'm doing these kind of shows almost daily sometimes more than once a day, sometimes uh, skipping a day or two. Um, and there's just a lot of people who are laying it on the line and fighting. They're getting their YouTubes taken down. They're getting knocked off of uh, Twitter and uh, other places. Uh, 
and it's a shock. It's identity threatening, and it makes it harder to organize. But I think it comes down ultimately. Do you want to be a part of the great reawakening? Do you want to be in history at a key moment where, where the flame of America is flickering and wavering? And you want to grab that torch with the rest of us and march with it, <laughs> or or do you or or are you going to quit? Um, and um, I don't think any of us here want to quit. And I think that's we have to inspire people because uh, it's it's going to take a lot of human beings who are willing to leave it all, leave it all on the floor, all on the game table, whatever. I agree. Yeah, I say Klaus Schwab, of course, wants the great, uh, the great uh, reset, but we're going to give him the great awakening. And uh, if we just stand on our truth and keep marching forward, and like Roy mentioned earlier, we, for me personally, forget about Trumps, Bidens, all these people. They're, you know, they're kind of dangling the carrots to one, one, but they're leading people down the the wrong direction. I think then the day, you know, the people, the power lies with the people. The problem is the the people so easily acquiesce and give their power away not realizing the power actually is with them. So the, the, so don't complain about your power later on or what, what Biden is throwing back at you. You just gave him the ammunition to throw, you know, your freedom you had away. So that was an opportunity. Every every choice people make is a, is a consequence. So, um, but I look, uh, thanks, Peter, for your time. I'm going to pass you on because I know the time is running out. I'm going to pass you on to Steve there at the moment. Wow. Peter, a uh, pleasure to be here. Um, Ginger sounds amazing. And to see two... You know, awesome people both awake at your age is just amazing. And um, it's nice to see but that. But she's a lot younger. <laughs> he's, only, he's only 70. Ah, wow. <laughs> well, I think it's important to point out that, you know, by the late 60s, you knew something was up about psychiatry and the whole industry being starting to be beholden to the farm industry. And by the early 90s, you saw how a company like Lilly could throw a trial. There were 25 depositions you weren't even privy to. Right. Um, right. So that's, you know, that's a long time ago. That's the early 90s. You saw that, that justice should have been, should have prevailed. And it didn't because there's a hidden hand that controls everything. And we're talking about predators today. So, you know, because it's been pretty heavy, this the, the conversation till now. Um, <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, I mean, is there any, you know, you're in the States, I'm from New York. Is there any um, truth that, you know, people are not taking a second jab and they're walking away and, you know, stockpiles are building up? Do you know anything about that? Oh, it's very, very clear. Um, <clears throat> there are, I'm told, around America there, where they used to line up in the uh, jab centers, you know, uh, and and then flood the parking lots, they're empty. So people are walking away from this. They've seen other people get sick from, uh, from the first jab. There, there are phys young physicians who are, are saying, no, I'm not gonna do it, I'm not gonna take it. Uh, there is a big groundswell of human beings. I think that more than half of America knows this is, this is a sham at this point. They're just scared. And um, just about all the things we've been talking about, they're frightened about it. And uh, we need to uh, just keep inspiring folks and telling them it's a matter of choosing how you want to live. You know, um, I can tell you uh, that from the moment we decided that 
it was actually quite funny. Ginger, Ginger uh, said to me very soon after we got involved in COVID-19, remembering that we were really scared about it. We could be the end of all my influence and everything. And as soon as we got in, in, into COVID-19, the welcome was unbelievable uh, from people like yourself, from just all over the place. The welcome was unbelievable. Very much different than when I was trying to lead the psychiatric thing. And I mean, I'm, I'm not leading anything. I mean, this is people there ahead of me, people who know more than I do. And um, it was wonderful. And Ginger said to me, we used to think, we looked at your life and mine, that God had tra was training us both to meet and for you eventually to have me by your side taking on psychiatry. She said, no, that was just the prep. It was all for COVID-19. So look at your own life and see if there's something in your life that's leading you to this moment in American history and world history. See if you can see God's hand uh, or providence. George Washington, you always spoke of providence. I think he wanted to be mm. to appeal to to across the board to folks. He believed deeply in God. He be, he believed he could not have won the revolution, aerial war, not only the, without the help of all everybody, all the people in America, but without providence. And uh, and history seems to indicate he was an extremely lucky man. <laughs> yeah. Well, he was a critical thinker, and he, you know, he he knew what uh, absolute power, you know, the, uh, yeah. the corruption of absolute power could do. Um, but, it, but it is a joy, just just briefly, and I'll stop. It's a joy to get involved in this work, folks. It's a joy to stand up for freedom. You will just awesome. meet the most wonderful people in America. You will. They'll gravitate to you. You'll gravitate to them. Um, you'll find yourself, whether you're working on the level of a precinct, a Republican precinct, or an independent precinct, or whether you're uh, working with scientists, or whatever you're doing, working through your church or synagogue, you're just going to meet the best people there are. It's really quite amazing. You will yeah. not feel alone the way they want you to feel. Yeah, that's, I mean, we've all met, this group is um, from all corners of the world, and uh you know, yeah. it's 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 probably one of the most interesting things and one of the most, uh, I guess, uh, highlights of my life. Um, so maybe there's all a reason, like you said, to be uh, to fight this stuff. So, um, on because of your incredible knowledge and in psychiatry and Prozac, and you basically built a case against Lilly, and you should have won, but you lost because of corruption back in the early '90s. Um, just just yesterday, my you know, someone told me they're going to put their 16-year-old on antidepressants, um, and you know, I didn't start the whole thing. But with someone with your knowledge, um, can you give us? You know, we kind of know why, but you know the real inside scoop on why you shouldn't go down that road. Well, the basic principle is that all psychoactive substances work by harming the brain, all of them. I don't care whether you're drinking, you know, if I have a glass of wine as I often do to relax in the evening, I'm actually sacrificing a piece of my brain to do that. It's a toxin, but it's a relatively mild one. I opt for it, okay, my problem. Um, don't let some doctor tell you that something far more dangerous than alcohol is going to be good for your, your life. Things like 
Well, all psychiatric drugs, to, to become approved, the first thing they have to show the FDA is that the drug is disrupting brain chemistry. It didn't, Prozac, they didn't give Prozac to depressed rats and so the so show that the rats felt better. They gave Prozac to rats, chopped up their brains and showed that it caused a dramatic transformation, disruption of their serotonin system, which then led to pre repercussions throughout the brain because serotonin is the most widespread, not the largest, but the most widespread system in the brain. So your entire brain was getting discombobulated, permanent changes in the rat brain after 18 months. So that's the first thing. Do you want to disable your child? If you give a child something that seems as, as harmless as Ritalin, methylphenidate, or Adderall, you're basically giving amphetamine. You are giving amphetamine. Even Adderall is classified basically as an amphetamine in all the textbooks. And what happens if you give it to a chimpanzee? Well, the chimpanzee stops socializing. What a blessing for the teacher. And what a blessing for an overworked, harassed man or woman trying to manage a difficult boy. He stops socializing. You stop having interest. The monkeys stop uh, smiling at each other and tussling around and fighting for dominance. Oh, the monkey life stops. It just suppresses, suppresses, suppresses. And if you follow up, what happens to, uh, we now have studies from 1972-3 on what happens to people who were put on small doses of methylphenidate, Ritalin, back in the 70s. And interestingly enough, what happens to them only has a small piece due to the, the, the original Ritalin or Adderall later on because they're not on them anymore. No, they're cocaine addicts or they're lifelong mental patients, statistically by a preponderance compared to con control kids from the same period of time. And it's not because they had ADHD, because they were so mild in what they had, was that the parents didn't see anything. It was the clinics that were working with the pharmaceutical industry and the teachers who said, this kid has a problem in the classroom. He's too interested in the girl next to him and not the teacher. He's too interested in looking out the window than what was going on in the classroom. He spoke out of turn too much, caused the teacher a problem. The whole diagnosis of ADHD is things that annoy teachers. The entire list, it's just a whole list, annoying teachers. It then got spread to being difficult at home. But it was all pharmaceutically created with that direction, get the teachers, express the kids. So you're damaging your child by teaching him not only that it's good for him to be suppressed, because he may tell you, oh, he's, he's happy, mom, he's doing better at school. He's not doing better at school. There's no evidence for that anywhere. He's, he's just being suppressed for a while. Then his brain's going to fight back. He's going to be in more trouble. He'll be put on other drugs to control this out of control brain. And then he's on up to thinking of himself as a mental patient. As a therapist, one of the biggest issues I deal with in therapy now is uh, the patients who come to me, often very bright students, uh, often successful professors, often people in business. Uh, and um, they all think their brain controls them. And that's what these kids were taught. They weren't taught that you, you are touched by God and you have free will and you have a spirit 
you're uh, uh, independent and you're a treasure, treasure your brain, treasure your body. Uh, your brain is the expression of your soul. They nothing like this. They are told they have bad breaks and a bad brain, so they can't control their behavior. So that's how you destroy human beings. You tell them that they don't control themselves. I have to reverse yeah. that whole process. So the the demoralization of the child is as bad as the brain damage of the child. Gotcha. And and with, uh, and with this whole thing, you know, there's kids who. Um, are in their homes watching the news, getting freaked out. Uh, they're depressed, and I, I've heard of, I heard more than ever, kids are seeing psychiatrists now, and I think that's like the thing to do. It's like, oh, well, I want to do it. My friend's doing it, and they're all going to get, they're all getting prescribed. So it's just another, it's another design of this whole inversion and perversion of reality by the predators. We know that. So the last thing I want to get you to um, Hartmut uh, real quick, but in your in a short thing between the WEF, um, uh, Klaus, Anil Schwab, and um, Frauci, um, what do you think? And we, we, we hear things of, you know, they want 500 million. I hadn't heard that before. Uh, okay, sorry. I got that from Sherry, I think. I don't know. You're, but, putting, um, the, you're putting the old guy into a spasm with that there one. You go, there you go. There you go. Um, you know, we hear we hear that oh, Georgia Guidestones 500 million. We don't know if the technocrats and the, the, the Luciferians really are going to go that far. But do you think this is a depopulation thing? And and and, you know, within a year or two, there's going to be people dropping like flies and it's going to look like, um, you know, some other strain or something like that from, you know, but it's really from the injection. Um, I hesitate on this because. I don't know. I do know that a couple of physicians who do frontline work and are very, very intelligent, um, they're afraid of something like this. They're absolutely afraid of something like this. Um, I know that the predators have no restraints. One of the things I learned about, others of us are learning about, is the concept that the Chinese have of unrestricted warfare, where you do anything to win. The only criteria for success is the winning. You're unethical if you don't win, not, not, not if you do something horrible to people. And um, I think it's a possibility. I can tell you one of the most startling things we found in the various white papers that were written talking about uh, the alternatives for vaccines. And I think this one was out of Hopkins. I'm, I just read it a couple of days ago and it's not integrated into this mass of information, but they were actually saying that one of the tools they would have, they're working on for vaccines. And this was one of these that was read by a lot of different people. It's a really big deal before it was published and that they were working on vaccines that was self-spreading so that you would give the vaccine to people and they would then, they didn't use the word shed, but they would then give that virus to other people and the world would be vaccinated by essentially a contagion. And then they said, and I'm not exaggerating, um, that um, is a possibility, of course, that if we do this 
there would be a deterioration of the vaccine into something, and I think they called it more neurotoxic. We, we, do, we do have in the labs now a coronavirus that causes inflammation of the brain, an encephalitis that was worked on by both the Chinese and the um, people at Chapel Hill that kills mice at a much higher rate than the current one. So their, their concern was not the people at all. The concern was that this would be bad public relations. Oh my God. So this is the place they're in. I, I'm not sure I've said it as fully today now as I've said it before. And of course, I've only read this thing I'm digesting. I read it about a week ago. That they, like the Chinese, the predators like the Chinese, are doing unrestricted warfare against us. No, I haven't said that before, but that's what's going on. Okay. okay. And they okay. might do anything. So I don't, I think that anything is possible. That's, that's the horror of it all. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, uh, it's real pleasure speaking with you. I've listened to a lot of your stuff and, um, uh, I have not read your book, but I will get it and uh, appreciate your time. And I'm going to pass you to Hartman, who's in Germany. So he's he's definitely got a definite view on this. A lot of good stuff coming out of Germany. Hello. Thank you, Peter. Thank you so much for being here. And um, uh, well, I have many questions and I really uh, appreciate also the topic of concerning the communism and also about the history. Uh, as a German, I, I dealt with the history in Germany, and we have, for example, August Kowalczyk, uh, who was a survivor of concentration camp, and he was the one who has examined the Nuremberg trial tribunal really. So what was going on in this, and what was said in this Nuremberg tri trial, and it was very amazing that the First World War and the Second World War were only led by the chemical and pharmaceutical industry in order to create the patent law worldwide and that the concentration camps were for example only ex um uh, research centers for for patents yeah this is uh, this is a very yeah it's interesting interest it strikes me as a little bit of an oversimplification as a jew but i think that that element is definitely there that element is definitely there Psychiatry yeah. used it to experiment. Psychiatry is uh, also a part of psychiatry is also um, the research of non-touching torture. Unfortunately, mm -hmm. and um, and interesting that uh, as I see uh, as I learned a little bit about the history in, in Germany and also the history of the European Union, the Operation Paperclip, how the scientists from Germany came to the U.S., etc. It's, it's very interesting that this psychiatry in order to suppress people and to suppress the will is on such a high level that many people, in my opinion, do not have a chance to understand it. Yes. And um, for example, and for example, um, in the Amnesty International report from uh, 1974 about torture, you see uh, Joe Biderman, uh, who made this uh, wonderful statements, for example, like, uh, let me see, I can tell, isolation, uh, monopolization of the perception, induced de uh, debility, exhaustion, threats, occasional indulgences, demonstrating, demonstrating omnipotence, degradation, and enforcing tribal demands. These are also 
non-touching tortures in order to change a complete society. Now, who and, was that? Was that uh, Biedermann? Joe Biderman? Joe Biderman was that in 1954. Okay. Send and me that if you can. Yes, I, I will send it send to Grace. Link. It's it's a Joe Biderman report. It's a don't it's a Amnesty International report from 1974. Thank you. And and interesting is as you said also the ADF AHDS um, this uh, this disease. It's a patent. It's a patent of question. It has nothing yes. to do with science. Because if you make right. an electroencephalogram at the brains, you know that you have different waves and that you can have yet you have to take a look at the waves in order to to balance them again. Yeah. But they but no one is interested in. And also the increase of antidepressants in the in, um, during the 90s till now. This has only one target, as you said, in order to make a dysfunction of the brain, but also to decrease the fear level so that the people do not have the courage to see the reality. And um, do you do you think that this is only um, do you think it's only a, well, a target which is only one decade or two decades old or do you think this is a target which is maybe yeah, 50 or 60 years old already to depopulate or to 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 control us in this way? What is about it? What is your thinking? What do you think about that? Well, that's that's a big one. Again, I've I've looked at Bill Gates to see um, as much as I can whether he ever comes out and says uh, we need fewer people, and he does sort of hint at it and laugh, and the audience laughs. He's a kind of a nerdy, weird guy. Um, but what is clear is he's totally behind population control. That's on his own website. People who think it's a conspiracy theory, he has population control stuff on his website. But what people don't realize um, is that there are two ways to go about having a, a viable population. One is to uh, help people be free, because as soon as people have freedom, they start to plan their families. The fact that it's a problem, like in Europe, where you know you have more abortion probably than kids being born. I don't know whether that's true or not, but it's I think a terrible thing. But yes, but free people manage their environments, and uh, they don't overpopulate themselves. They uh, the population is going to keep up with productivity, or people are free. They're going to make different choices. No, for him, population control is I'm in charge. I'll manipulate, I'll uh, do whatever I have to do, uh, and uh, I'm right, and the Chinese tell me I'm right. I'm, I, I was told I was right by the Chinese. I'm sure that's what they're thinking. These guys are not that bright critically. They're just not. They're bright at something else, at being shrewd, nasty, and getting rich. It's very different than, than being wise or having some critical intelligence. So, um, but I would say that that to the earliest times, human beings have murdered each other and slaughtered each other. There's just no doubt about it. There was no halcyon period of time like some of the feminists wanted to, to believe when women were in charge. <laughs> I think we know enough to know that women in charge are not necessarily any better than men in charge now. We're all blessed with violence. I can and, emphasize uh, this. We have miracles in 16 years. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So... 
I think that that human beings, I mean, you think about what went on in Africa um, way, way back with the early, some of the early civilizations where they would just murder each other and one would dominate the other and there would be mass slaughters. Think about South America here where we had empires that looked very much like a Maoist empires. Uh, the, the leaders were God, they were... They slaughtered people, they, they had these uh, blood rituals, they kept people in serfdom. So, I mean, we're looking at human tendencies against which civilization and, and to a great extent the Judeo-Christian one God concept has uh, been fighting against. I mean, until, uh, you know, it's, a, it's somewhat in the Old Testament, we find things about loving your neighbor, but it's really not until the New Testament that somebody, Jesus says basically, you know, your purpose is to love God and love one another as I love you. I mean, that's brand new, it's 2000 years old. <laughs> that's nothing. Um, so we have been just, once you get outside the extended family, and of course, sometimes inside the extended family, we, we've always had these lusts to dominate. It's been a struggle. And um, I think it's just something that's with us. So what we're seeing today, and this is a new perspective for me, what we're seeing today is not unusual. It's just the expression of it in high technology. We can attack you with vaccines. We can attack you with a bacteria. We can terrorize you internationally. But how much different is it than Genghis Khan? or some of the emperors of the empires in the, in the Far East or in South America. So I'm getting a kind of a different look at it, and I haven't quite heard anybody talk about it this way, but this is what the, my wife and I do for two hours before we go to bed at night, you know, we mull on what in the hell's going on. But more and more is looking to me like it's, uh, that this is not unique. What's unique is our moment in time to make a difference, to move humanity uh, toward more freedom, to refound re America, to become a light city on the hill, and all those truisms. The the perver the the perverted the situation is such perverted because the people in Germany they don't take the vaccine because of the virus they take the vaccine in order to be able to travel again. Yes, of course. Yes, that's yeah. what's going happening here. People are succumbing here, and that's what people have always done. You know, it'll take ten percent of the population to win this conflict. We're probably being dominated by 10% and we need our own 10%. We and really need to. Uh, and this is also concerning communism. For example, in Germany, in East Germany, uh, when we had GDR, the German Democratic Republic of Germany, 85% uh, of the population knew that they were betrayed by the government. And 50% mm. uh, followed the government and believed in the government. But now we have the opposite situation at the moment uh 85 percent uh follow the government and 15 percent do not follow the government and this is only possible by non-touching torture or by psychological um strategies otherwise it's not possible to do this yeah because um as you said you said the chinese are very uh, um uh, that the Chinese are very deep connected with the university. 
this is uh, this is a part of a demoralization process, which is um, uh, explained by Yuri Betsmenov. That this uh, and if someone is demoralized, then he has not the chance anymore to understand the truth, or and what is lie. Yeah. Yeah, but I, you know, I do think that uh, this is an inherent human tendency. I remember uh, thinking back in high school. Um, wow. Uh, why, why are all my friends, I had a lot of friends and, you know, I was president of the class a few times and really had some of the best relationships in my life. And, but they all weren't really thinking for themselves. There was just only a handful. And that was a remarkable thing because then I went to Harvard and I thought now it's going to be just a ton of people, but there was nobody. <laughs> I didn't, I hardly met anybody. <laughs> By the time you got to Harvard, you, you, your only thought was how do I get to Harvard? Um, so, but this is civilization. This is what happens when people get civilized and they, they get, they get fat, they get like me and get, you get wealthy, not, you know, but, um, this is a universal thing. And, yes. uh, I, I think that, uh, the unique is us today. And I really want to tell people that join the unique, be be a part of what changes history for the better. It won't take even half of us. Half of us are already sympathetic and we just need a of us and we need all our own institutions. The one thing I now know is I will never be praised in the New York Times. <laughs> I used to yeah. be in the New York Times a fair amount, writing letters, once in a while I get mad, but even then they didn't want to stop lobotomy. New York Times thought it was evil to stop lobotomy. So, I mean, this is how it goes for a long, long time. It's hatred of humanity, hatred of the human spirit. Um, very profound, very deep. Um, but there's also this shining light. And we just got to join together. And it won't take a, you know, huge number of us. Because certainly in America, at least, at least half the population wants to be free, wants to be strong. Um, Wants to, wants to have freedom of religion, freedom of speech. I never thought in my entire life we'd have lose freedom of speech, but, uh, but why not? Um, once you get uh, a technocracy that can control speech the way they can, they'll do it. That's what human beings do. The founders knew that. They knew we had that checks and balances. They didn't have a fantasy about human nature. They knew human nature, the founders. And so they said, you got to have all these checks and balances. You can't have kings. You can't have presidents with unlimited power. No, you can't have a democracy like um, Ben Franklin wanted, just a one, one house to, of the people. You've you got to have balances here. We've got to have checks on checks. You've got to have a, three separate branches of government, equally powerful, and so on. Um, well, we have to get back to that. We've got to really believe in that and um, promote it. So uh, for me, this is a motivation because um, this means in the whole history, there were a few people who made a difference. Exactly. Brilliant. That's a very good statement. Thank you so much, Peter. Well, it brings <laughs> hope, and and um, it's a life I've tried to live, and 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 Ginger too. Um, um, she joined me. I was already in my forties. I was entirely stupid about love and family life until my forties, and then uh, Ginger 
God sent her. He said, God, this man is messing up this half of his life. He's not going to last. <laughs> um, but uh, I don't even know how I went off on that tangent. Probably from talking for two hours. Where were we? Thank you. It was really brilliant to talk to you, Peter. Thank you so much. Thank you. Praised. Thank you. Thank you, everyone. Uh, Peter, I just want to post this and show it to the audience. And this is this was from Steve. And so we wanted to share this to the audience as well. Okay, and you mentioned about that, right? Okay. Yes, and this then, is, of course, oh, yeah. Well, let me say a word about getting treatment. That's what this reminds me of. The, the Association of American Physicians and Surgeons, um, find their website. I'm, I'm always messing up on it. I think, uh, but I think aapsonline.org will get you there. Um, and they have a blue book. You'll know they're there because there's a blue book is one of their main things on their website. And that blue book is about the early treatment of COVID-19. So you can get this anywhere in the world. And the book, <clears throat> uh, were uh, I know very well two of the three people that, that worked on it, the pe two people I think that worked the most on it, Peter McCullough and <clears throat> Elizabeth Lee. And it is about what is early prevention and treatment. And then, and that will be updated. It is updated when new things come up, like more about ivermectin is going to be in there in addition to hydroxychloroquine, and about how you go about treating it. One of my family members uh, phoned the group on page 24. You go to, uh, or, or within the uh, website itself for AAPS, and you find uh, frontline docs. You get them online or uh, by email or whatever method. Right now, it costs 90 bucks for a console, and they will get you the medicines you need. Even if you're not allowed in your state, they will find a way to help you get the meds you need. And one of my family members did this. They had an, uh, um, not such young people um, and with some vulnerabilities. They got COVID-19. They got the drugs the next morning. And the day after that, they were almost, almost over it. It can be that quick. The docs have told me that who are working on frontline again and again. It's hard to believe. We have really good treatments. So you can get that from, from those folks. And um, <clears throat> the front page of my book, I put that up first, right in the front page. How do you get the blue book? How do you get to the front line docs? So this is a very, very good thing to know. And that, that's a good group. So I'm glad you fl flashed it, because I don't think I really said that clearly enough. There are good treatments available. And they have to suppress them, because if we all get well, we ain't gonna put up with them and we're not gonna take the vaccines and we're gonna re reinstate a democratic republic in America, you know? They want us to be ill. It's that bad. I could never have believed a year ago I would have come to such a conclusion. It's beyond my conception. I would have seen that deeply into human evil. And uh, there's this question, how do we make sure we don't have another Auschwitz and another operation paperclip. Well, by behaving extraordinarily. You know, by not by not being like the Germans and giving away their republic to a Fuhrer. They had a republic. By being unique, because in fact, 
What happened in Nazi Germany, the more I understand life, was not so unique. It was just the bureaucratization of it. It was just making murder bureaucratic. And by the way, the people who did that were the German psychiatrists. Uh, Hartman, I don't know if you know this. I, I actually gave a speech in Germany just before the wall came down. That's how I got to get go behind the, the Iron Curtain uh, to East Germany. I was invited to give a speech on the role of psychiatry in the Holocaust. And I wrote a paper on it. It's on my website, The Murder of Mental Patients or something like that. We'll get you to it. Um, and it was the organization, the bureaucratic organization of psychiatry that created the first mass extermination, not Hitler and not the Nazis, the psychiatrists. They were planning it just like this other thing's been planned, just like Operation Warp Speed was planned. They were planning it in 1920. A book came out by a psychiatrist and a lawyer on uh, destroying the lives, lives not worth living. And, was it... Um, I have a question. Was this done in uh, by an order of the pharmaceutical industry? Because in the in the Nuremberg trial tribunal, they found out that uh, the pharmaceutical industry paid four hundred thousand euros to the Nazis in order to burn the German Reichstag one day after the burning. And, um, uh, it's it's it evolves. I can't tell you the answer to that. I do think things are a little more complicated than that. I mean, you've got years of anti-Semitism. You've got years of totalitarianism. I think that it, that the pharmaceutical industry works through that. So I have a little slightly different emphasis, I think. But not, it, but the facts are the same. The facts mm -hmm. are the same. So this was planned. Uh, you know, I mean, if a book comes out in 1920, you know, it's planned way ahead of that. And I think it came out of psychiatry before it was dominated by the pharmaceutical industry. It really doesn't get totally dominated by the pharmaceuticals till 1950s, early 50s, with the uh, discovery of the antipsychotic drugs, which are not antipsychotic drugs, they're lobotomy drugs. Um, and... Um, and the uh, euthanasia centers, the first euthanasia, this is a direct answer to the question, I should talk about it. The euthanasia centers were built by the psychiatrists. There's no evidence that Hitler did anything but write a little note later on uh, saying it's okay. And uh, there are places nobody's heard of, like Hart Hartheim and Sonnenstein, that were euthanasia centers. Hitler met his only resistance effective resistance was to these murdering centers. He was at, he, uh, for example, at, apparently at Kaufbüren, where there was one of these murder centers in the state mental hospitals, in the state mental hospitals. That was the first murder centers. And he was booed at the truck stop by the families of whose people were being slaughtered and going up in smoke from the crematorium in the state mental hospital. And they were, they were starving people and drugging people to death. Um, then the, the, uh, then it went from the state hospitals to the euthanasia centers, and there they were using diesel engines. These are the psychiatrists, diesel engines, uh, before the pharmaceutical industry gets involved. It's interesting to try to parse it. Um, they even had the fake soap. They even had the, that. They, they, they even had little signs about, you know, you're entering to live or something, I don't, whatever that craziness was. And the first people killed in the concentration camps, turning them into, into extermination camps, were killed on the euthanasia forms just in the beginning. Doctors were involved. 
And some of the fir first commandant of an extermination camp was a euthanasia doc. Uh, all this is in that one beautiful little essay I wrote years and years back, which led, led the Germans actually, you know, that I knew that to come and, t and talk. And then I published the paper actually in a medical journal in Europe. I couldn't publish it here. Um, so there's this all this evil coming together of which the pharmaceutical industry is one expression, one very powerful expression of the evil. And uh, we just have to treasure life. We have to treasure human life. We have to get back to a, a God-centered, spirit-centered, freedom-centered belief in humanity. Um, and... Uh, and and just uh, you know become the people we need to become and it won't take a huge number of us to do this but it's scary folks be brave you'll have many friends thank you very thank you. much thank you very much peter and for um it's really been an honor a pleasure and we just needed to hear that from thank someone you, who's been around yeah <laughs> We need to really enjoy our life, make the most of it, and decide on what we want to become. Now, um, for those who view, the viewers who want a copy of that Amnesty International, I just message me and I will be able to send you a copy because uh, Hartmut just gave me a copy, okay? So, and right now, just like what Peter has been doing and everyone else, you have to do your own research, study, study, study. That's part of really enjoying our lives. So thank you again. And uh, don't forget that's www.bragging.com and www.wearetheprey.com, okay? Thank and you, you're wonderful. This is a wonderful <laughs> format, wonderful format. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Well, pleasure. I, I think you got more out of me than any one person's done. Oh, <laughs> cool. And we'll be happy to have you again in the oh. near future. Okay? Yes. Thank Give you. me a day's rest. <laughs> <laughs> and Ginger, thank you thank so you. much. I'm thank glad you. even if you are not here. Ginger. Ginger. Yeah, yeah, Ginger. Thank you. Woo! <laughs> <laughs>